Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 327th episode the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Mark Horner. Mark is the founder of Fairhaven Wealth Management, an independent REA based in Wheaton, Illinois, that oversees more than $1 billion in assets under management for about 450 client households. What's unique about Mark, though, is the way he's been able to market and differentiate his firm by drawing upon his years of wirehouse experience to create a distinctly unwirehouse brand, going so far as to create a series of parody commercials that portray stereotypical big firm sales-oriented advisors who may not have their client's best interest at heart as a way to distinguish and contrast not only his firm's fiduciary approach, but their willing-to-be-different culture to prospective clients. In this episode, we talk in depth about how Mark developed and implemented his unique marketing strategy of writing parody commercials that feature a satirical sales-centric advisory firm, Bear Brothers Financial, and how he got mentally comfortable taking such a non-traditional approach to trying to stand out in his marketing. How Mark sought to grow his team through a split of one-third organic hiring, one-third recruiting existing advisors with clients, and one-third hires that are made through acquisitions. And how, while Mark was in the early stages of planning to leave the wirehouse world and go independent, he made cold calls to other advisory firm owners asking for advice on making the transition, which also grew relationships with them to the point that four out of the five firms he's now acquired were a result of making those initial cold calls. We also talk about how, after 14 years in the wirehouse world, Mark decided to break away and go independent by himself and managed to grow quickly from $80 million in AUM to over $1 billion in 22 employees in barely just eight years. How Mark created what he calls a protective put to find new opportunities to acquire other advisory firms, where Mark signs an agreement that if something were to happen to the advisor, Fairhaven would take over their clients and give their families an agreed percentage of the revenue over a period of time so that the monetary value isn't lost to death. And how, in addition to his website and parody commercials, Mark self publishes a biannual print magazine that features financial topics with lots of photos and employs local college students to write the copy so that he can stay in front of prospects and even other advisory firms he might acquire someday in a more tangible, physical way. And be certain to listen to the end, where Mark shares how he balances the mentality of taking the work that they do for clients very seriously, but not taking ourselves so seriously in the way that he markets. Why Mark feels that aspiring advisors would benefit from beginning their careers not by pursuing financial advisor jobs, but getting into the commercial banking industry right out of college, where there's less pressure to prospect and sell and more opportunity to learn the mechanics of finance and get familiar with the needs and challenges of small business owners who may be looking to borrow from the bank's commercial lending team. And how Mark was able to balance the rapid growth of his firm over the past eight years with still being present for his family, including driving five hours to be present for his oldest daughter's college volleyball games by setting his family as a hard priority on his calendar, just like any other client or work commitment. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Mark Horner. Welcome, Mark Horner, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Great to be with the legend, Michael Kitsis. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm I'm really looking forward to today's episode and, and talking a little bit about... I guess I, I would say marketing 
at a high level, but I, you know, I'd, I'd come across your kind of your firm and your story a couple of years ago, uh, and and was both sort of fascinated and and amused, as we'll I think share share more <laughs> in a in a in a few moments here. That I, I find there there's an interesting phenomenon in in how most advisors market that we tend to take this marketing approach that sort of starts with this fundamental perspective of uh, like whatever you do, don't upset or or piss anyone off. Right. Uh, or like everything always has to start very kind of middle of the road neutral, right? Like you never discuss re- religion or politics anywhere near your financial advisor world or marketing. Uh, you got to be careful about even like the jokes that you make because someone can take offense. Like we always start very much in like as, as in the middle and safe as we can. And then from there, we try to like find someone that we can connect with. And and there's only a few people out there I, I find that even sort of think about an opposite approach. Uh uh, Robert Sophia of Snappy Kraken wrote a great book last year called Blend Out, right? Sort of the opposite of blend in all around this idea of, look, when everybody else is trying to to, to blend in and, and like not say anything to offend anyone or disrupt anyone, um, it basically like consumers can't tell them apart. If you if you want to stand out, you have to blend out as as Robert sets it up. Uh, like you, you, you got to take a stand for something or, or say something that someone notices and <laughs> remembers. And so I'd come across a few years ago, this, uh, sort of wonderfully humorous satirical website, uh, bear brothers, financial advisors. So we'll, we'll put a link out to this in the, in the show notes as well. This is episode 327. So if you go to kitsis.com slash three, two, seven, we'll have a link out to this. So bear brothers, financial advisors is, is essentially a, like a parody financial advisor website. Like kind of looks like a financial advisor website, bear brothers advisors, like it's got a, got a nice logo at the top. Uh, 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 you know, like picture of couple walking on the beach, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of pictures of like, yeah, I think of it as like the stock photography, right? Like, um, uh, I think they're more, the, the I think they're more frolicking, Michael. They're, 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 frolic. fro- they're, they're frolicking on the beach. Frolicking yeah. on the beach, right? Yeah. Like the, you know, the, the, like the slightly older gentleman who's carrying his wife on his <laughs> back, right? Like that. We've all seen that stock photography. And then you start reading the website and it says, you know, like, Bear Brothers Financial Advisors, we're committed to our success. It's like, wait, we're committed what? to our success. Right? It doesn't say your success. <laughs> it says our success. And then like you read, you read the the captions under the like the pictures of the 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 husband giving his wife a piggyback, and it says, when you're financially secure, your wife will refuse to walk too. And then like the caption, you realize the caption says an independent survey shows that more of our lady clients get piggyback rides from their husbands than those with any other firm. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is a send up of every single one of our financial advisor websites that has a has a little bit of this kind of stuff. And so the whole website is um, I, just incredibly amusing. Eventually you get to the end and it says, you know, if Bear Brothers Financial Advisors is not your cup of tea, you might want to check out the true professionals at Fairhaven Wealth Management. Uh, and, and then it has the sales manager of um, Bear Brothers saying, Fairhaven Wealth Management, I hate those guys. So I just like, I looked at this in this world of, okay, like we're all trying to blend in and not saying anyone, say anything to offend anyone. And and you have made like the ultimate parody of the most like horrifically stereotypical salesy oriented website there is. 
uh, with even like all the, you know, check out your financial professional and FINRA broker check disclosures at the bottom. And and so I just wanted to really start the the conversation today in, in understanding like what exactly goes through your head to make a website <laughs> like this? It's like a, you, you, you're at, you are a business owner that employs many people that has many clients and many millions of dollars. Like this isn't just sort of like out there on a lark. Like you run a business. Fairhaven's a real advisory firm that hopefully gets clients who are turned off by Bear Brothers financial advisors. Like where does it come from to make a website like this to market yourself? Uh, well, well, thank you for that in, that introduction. There's also six videos. But uh, so I think so I think that comes from well number one not taking myself too seriously so uh, we talk about a lot in the office that we take our jobs as financial advisors seriously but we we desperately try not to take ourselves too seriously I, I think most of the public doesn't quite appreciate uh, what goes on behind the scenes in the in the big in the big. Uh, one of a wide range of firms, but I came from, I started my career in the big firm world. So I have firsthand experience uh, after 14 years being in that environment, what that, what that world can be like. And although, although some of the, the website stuff and the, and the videos and things are outrageous, every single one of them is based on an actual circumstance. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm reading through this, right? Like Bear Brothers is determined to drag you through our process, size you up, pass you off, and create a cash cow. Your advisor will help guide you to make the right decisions for Bear Brothers. And right, and it's like, you know, half comical and half like, yeah, that's basically the whole like fiduciary thing we've all be talking about. Um, this is a way more amusing way to put it out there. Uh, but like, yep, that's what we've all been railing against. Uh, but you but- made this... But you made this website, like you made a fake financial advisor website that says it and puts it out there. So how does this turn into a a parody advisor website? Well, so that inspiration came from Saturday Night Live. So the the I, I don't think I can make an actual reference to the video that I'm talking about, but I think most of the audience will remember Andy Samberg and Justin Timberlake's uh, ode to, to 19, 1970s uh 1970s music with uh with the christmas gift but when i saw an interview where both andy and justin were talking about to really take that to the next level they needed to they thought they needed to produce a song that 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 you took away the lyrics and the song actually had a good baseline to it and it was music that you would actually listen to we walk around here also saying there are no half measures if you're if you're going to do it do it and so, uh, and so, if you're going to produce a website, if you're going to go through a professional casting, which we did uh, to shoot the, to shoot those videos, if you're going to hire professional actors, then that needs to be housed on a professional website. And and so, uh, I mean, I'm th- I'm thrilled that people enjoy it, and I get feedback all the time from from people within the industry that say. You, you hit the nail on the head. This is this is exactly what's 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 going on in far too many places. Uh, and I've got truth be told, I've got I've got hopes to strike a deal with Disney Plus or Netflix or something like that. I think there's plenty of material to do to do something on to do something online. A running series, running running series on the the pain and horrors of uh, absolutely bad, bad financial product sales. Absolutely. So. Help us understand this from the broader perspective. Like it, 
is this literally marketing for the for the firm? Like, was this, was this a growth engine, or was this just a thing to put out there because you wanted to like say your two cents about the the issues of the industry and 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 do it in your own special way? Uh, like, what did this turn into? Yeah, so so I think so from a from a marketing perspective, uh, you you can talk about things that you do for your clients. You can also talk about things you don't do. And and I'd, I'd say from a marketing perspective, we use this as this is who we're not. So you know the the uh, we we do an outstanding job of connecting with our female clients. In fact, our very best client relationships I would characterize as female as female led. And and so I've I've struggled with that in in trying to in trying to intentionally capitalize on that because when I've talked with our when I've talked with some of our clients about that and that being a competitive differentiator and it's just naturally who we are it's not it's not intentional they've they've struggled with giving me feedback about how you about how you you really take that to market because it just sounds creepy to say to to say to uh, a professional woman that you've just met that and oh by the way we do a really good job of working with women i mean that that's like the that's like the it, stuff that it, restraining orders are made yeah, like out of. it may be true given actual client relationships but it's kind of awkward to it's, say it's totally awkward but you should but they look at the video on we know how to handle the ladies from the bear brothers <laughs> financial advisors which is what the which, title is yeah I'm, I'm looking like literally one of the titles of the videos uh, uh we we talk to women we know how to handle the ladies which is it's, it's ridiculous and offensive in my experience anyway you show that to a female professional that's been in the that's been in the business world, and that resonates with them immediately. Mm-hmm. And that and that if we're prepared to, if we're prepared to call that out, we we've said we've communicated. Hey, we understand that that's a bunch of BS that goes on out there, and wearing pink ties to to show that you you know how to serve the the female niche. Which I mean, I mean, right? All this yep. all this yep. stuff, all this language is just ridiculous. But uh, but but calling it out uh, like that shows somebody that uh, that that that's that, that that's not how we act, and it avoids the you know we do a good job of working with women conversation. So, do you show this to prospects? Like, do you send prospects here? Is the idea that like prospects who might be searching around the world find their way to this, and then like find their way to Fairhaven when they realize this is not a good firm? Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, you're touching on two items right there. One, one is absolutely uh, in in the you know the, the appropriate circumstances. I'm not sure that we lead with the Bear Brothers stuff, but 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 as as a as a potential new client is getting to know the firm to to share that with them is hey, this is part of the this is part of a reflection of the culture of the firm. So absolutely. But what I think we don't do a what we need to do a better job of is integrating more of the stuff that we've produced in uh, in like our YouTube page, the Bear Brothers site. We've got, a, we've got a, another website called the Million Dollar Cup of Coffee that's gotten some traction for us. Those are those are independent websites right now from the Fairhaven site. And so what's gonna get what what's gonna get done here this year is get those various assets integrated more directly in the core uh, website of, of Fairhaven so that they're more easily discovered. And 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 so now I've got to ask, like, so what's what's million dollar cup of coffee? Is this like a 
uh, a send up of the old like David Bach. Uh, you know, if if you if you just stop buying the cups of coffee, you can retire a millionaire. So that's what it is, and the, so the, that's basically where the marketing, where our marketing uh, approach started. So when okay. when I was when I was planning to go into to go independent, it took me about three years of doing the of doing the due diligence before I finally pulled the ripcord on uh, on on making the jump. But I was back in the wirehouse world. We've I've long had intern programs, so for the bulk of my career, and so I, I one of my interns. Uh, again, back in the wire world, I w- wanted to work on a financial literacy program designed for young people. And so we put together this 20 question survey, shared it with our clients and asked them and CPAs and attorneys and asked them to, sh- to pass it along to people that were in anywhere from kind of sophomore in high school to maybe 30 years old. And it was 20 questions that asked about financial literacy how would they how would they consume it you know what all all sorts of all sorts of feedback and i remember the intern said to me should i go look at what the big firm the, the, I'll, I'll leave unnamed that the big firm that we're that we're at what they're doing and i said absolutely not because whatever it is that they're doing is not working so let's go talk to the end consumer and find out what they want and then we'll design a program Based on that feedback, well, that fe- we had over 500 people fill out that survey, and that formed the backbone of our of our. It was a blueprint of the of the marketing that we started doing. So, unfortunately, when I was in the wires, I couldn't do anything with it because compliance and attorneys right. would have would have killed it. And so, I think it was like six months after I kind of got my legs underneath me after I had made the made the, the the transition to independence i took that information and started which basically said it it needs to be on demand i'm not going to go sign up for a 90 minute webinar it's got to be like three minutes three minutes long it's got to be video based and it cannot have any jargon in it whatsoever and the lead line in the survey was if we showed you how to if we showed you how to save the equivalent of a expensive cup of coffee a day when you start when you're 20 it, you know that would make you become a millionaire and we called it the million dollar cup of coffee survey we got feedback feedback in the survey was that they you know they they love that analogy so i just started shooting videos 6 months going into the independent world i wrote the scripts and 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 then started sharing them and I'd love to tell you it was some McKinsey whiteboard uh, plan that I that I knew what the results were going to be from the beginning, but shame on me. What I found out was, you know what, 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds, they also like hearing things in short video form with some animation, with maybe a little bit of sense of humor and no jargon. And I just so we just we just ran with that from get, getting that getting that feedback. So it was again, it was not. There's no business school credit here. This was this was experimenting, uh, trying to have some fun, willing to take a risk, and then listening to the feedback from your target audience. So I, I'm struck just the the way that you pursued this. That uh, you know, hey, I've got this idea around a new a new thing we could be doing. This case was around financial literacy, but like I'm going to make a questionnaire and send it out to clients and like CPAs and attorneys and related professionals and try to get hundreds of people to answer my 20 question questionnaire to figure out what I'm going to go make or or, or go do. Like just I'm I'm struck by I, I, a lot. I think most of us would say we're very client centric and client focused. What we do, right? We're trying to show up and do the things that clients want and appreciate so that we can 
get get paid for our advice and and grow a business. But like I pretty much never hear of an advisor that says, "Yeah, I was I was thinking about a new initiative, so I made a twenty question questionnaire and sent it to hundreds of people and then gathered all their feedback and used that to figure out what I was going to do." Like it sort of sounds straightforward and obvious, <laughs> yet here we are, and like none of us do that. So where like where did that come from? Well, I su- I suppose that came from an understanding that I've that I've had from the well, you know what? I suppose I can trace that back to probably Zig Ziglar and uh and a marketing class that I took that I took in college that I remember a Zig Ziglarism being if you if you help enough people get what they want, you can have everything that you want. Hmm. And so and so having a having an orient having an orientation about Having an orientation that you that that the way that the way that you the way that you advance yourself is you advance others, hmm. and uh, and I, I would say I would say that that thinking runs through uh, what we try to do from a marketing perspective, what we try and do from a business development perspective, uh, yeah, and, and thinking about others before you think about yourself, uh, and it, it does seem to me to be rather straightforward that if you're trying to get somebody's attention. And you have the opportunity to ask them, "Hey, how could I get your attention?" You should go ahead and do that and listen to, to what it to what it is that they but, tell you. But I, I guess just you don't get trapped in this world of okay, like I you know I asked five hundred people for their opinion and I got five hundred opinions. It's like well, well, well that so you didn't yeah help. <laughs> yeah no no you can't you can get trapped in that world and I and I think that's that's been a struggle for me around like. Uh, advisory boards or something or something like that uh so you can get trapped in that i tend not to ask a whole lot of opinions in ways that are going to set me up if i disagree with that opinion to then uh irritate or alienate somebody because i didn't run with their idea so that you know that that sur- that survey that we did again we got 500 plus people to to fill it out in no way did we implement all everything that all 500 something people said but i I distilled what what um what the bulk of the feedback was and then and then it's got to and then it's got to line up with who you are personally so if you're if you're not out there being true to yourself uh people see through that in a second so 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 you need to be genuine and and believe in what it is that you're doing and why it is that you're why you're doing what you're doing and then i would say just kind of let the chips fall where they may so coming back for a moment to bear brothers um so i I guess just the other thing i'm wondering on a high level like how just how do you get comfortable putting something like this out there i mean just are you are you not worried that like some people are going to be offended by this. I mean, I'm not even necessarily like the the industry folks that are offended, but anytime you start engaging in satire around particularly like some of the, you know, the gender dynamics you have here, right? And right. Survey that shows more of our lady clients get piggyback rides from their husbands. Right. And those with any other firms. Like, I get it. A lot of us have seen the stock photography. It's it's kind of a fun send up, but like I'm sure someone's going to read that a different way and not not like the sentiment or the comment or the choice of words. Like just do do you worry about that because it, it it seems like it's hard to take to to be as edgy as this and not be expecting you're going to get some flack for it. Yeah, so uh I don't I don't I don't worry about it. 
Um, another one of the videos that we've done, we, we humbly titled it the best introduction to wealth management ever created. And that was a video that we did where in it, one of the scenes is I've got somebody dressed up in a chicken suit, uh, pretending to be a financial advisor. And then in another scene, I've got a, I've got a, a groom and a bride, you know, full tuxedo, full wedding dress, and she ends up kneeing him in the groin. And the, the, the public relations person that we were working with at the time, we're, we're on, we're on this, set. This is your like wealth management intro video. The, of- yeah. Exactly, like mar- married couple needing someone in the groin. Exactly. That now that one we use as a lead-in to, so that that's either people are going to like it or they aren't. And so the 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 PR person that we were working with at the time, we're shooting this video on the in the office, and she pulls me aside and says, uh, "You can't have somebody dressed in a chicken suit doing a doing a video about financial planning. You're in the money business," and and. Uh, and said something similar about the kneeing and the groin thing. And I, and so, well, I, so I said to her, well, this is what we are doing. Uh, there is no way we can out Schwab, Charles Schwab. So we are not going to have uh, pictures of a, mm-hmm. of a couple strolling down a moonlit beach uh, as their demonstration of, of retirement. I'm fairly confident Schwab is not going to have somebody in a chicken suit. So we're going with the chicken suit. So, so just leaning into that whole dynamic of like, we're going to be different because we have to be different. Because if we're not different, we're basically just competing against other firms who are even larger and even more focused on not being different. And like, they can do that because they can also afford Super Bowl commercials. Uh, but like, we're not going to be able to compete with a mega firm by showing up more or less the same way they do. Exactly. We, we, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, 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 it's that it, it's, it's, we, we're going to choose to fight the fights that we can win or have a, or have a chance, have a chance of winning. I think, I think being just bold, boldly genuine about who you are is incredibly powerful and it's more fun. I probably, probably that it's at the top of the list. It's, it's incredibly more fun. I mean, if, if Mark Cuban would back our firm and pay and we could get enough money to get a Super Bowl commercial, we would, we would just freaking kill it. And so, <laughs> I, I mean, I did the bear, a, the bear brothers would have their first Super Bowl commercial. Absolutely. This is absolutely. Turn. I, I can see this now. Exactly. We'll leave James Gorman in the dust, but, but, um, you know, I, I was doing a, I was doing a talk on this a few years ago and, um, Somebody asked me in the, in the, it was an FPA event. Somebody asked me, well, how do you measure whether it's working or not? And I flipped back in the deck that I had gone through to the slide that showed the growth of the firm. And, and I pointed to, I didn't say a word. I pointed to the slide and, uh, and the, and I got a nice reaction from the crowd, but, but, you know, in 14 years in the wirehouse, uh, we went, I went from, by myself, went from zero to 80 million in assets. And then, we had our eight-year anniversary. I haven't done the numbers yet, but but uh, the year before 2022, we finished seven years in the independent world, going from 80 million to over a billion. And so, wow. and so that tells me what we're doing is working. So help us understand then, just like the advisory firm itself as it as it actually exists today. Yeah. So I uh, I. Resigned from the wirehouse at 9.30 in the morning on a Friday. At 11.30, I was signing paperwork uh, to buy my first practice. So we've, we've, we've acquired five advisors. Uh, 
in the in the eight years that the that the firm's been around at 2 30 that afternoon that friday afternoon i was on my first client appointment to transition my clients out of the wires into Fairhaven. and by the time my head hit the pillow on the following monday uh, i had visited with all or maybe 38 of my 40 something clients and uh and away we and away we went so the firm has grown from again me by myself to now uh 22 people and again, eighty million to, to finish finish twenty twenty uh, finish twenty twenty one at over at over a billion. We gave some of that back last year, but um, uh, but yeah, the, the growth is the growth has come from basically a third, a third, a third organically recruiting advisors to join the firm, and uh, and then doing it and then doing acquisitions. And what we how we think about the acquisitions as far as growth goes is. We use the acquis- we use the acquisitions to basically help advisors or give our advisors the opportunity to participate financially in those acquisitions. So when we when we've done the the five acquisitions that we've done, the bulk of those clients have been reassigned to because all those advisors have been in some sort of retirement mode or another, and so some are entirely exited from the firm, and and when one one is still here, but there there needs to be a succeeding advisor to take care of those clients and so we use we use those the, the that client opportunity to attract advisors as recruits and so mm. i personally work with very very few of of those of those uh acquired clients and so the idea there is that uh the the, the client to advisor count stays down that's good that's good for that's good for the clients. That's good for the advisors, and that's good for the and that's good for the firm. I'm I'm uh, in our firm. I'm the one that does the the inorganic stuff. So that frees me up to to focus on to focus on the on the inorganic growth of the firm and the marketing initiatives. And so if you can if you can do if you can if you can do things that benefit the clients, the advisors, and the firm, and rinse and repeat that uh, that that's got some power to it. So, so you said uh, uh, about a billion dollars for the firm, twenty-two people. How many clients is it? Uh, Four hundred and fifty. Okay. Okay. So, so like typical clients, a multi-million-dollar client, right? Just divide dividing a- assets in the um, in a client count. So you're you're working with a fairly affluent clientele. We we are. There there are outliers on either side of that sure. of that of that midpoint, but yeah, yeah. So I. So I guess then I I gotta come back and ask one more like no no like multi million dollar clients that see like Bear Brother intro and you know the uh, the intro video with the guy in the chicken suit like on the homepage of your website like no clients that have seen this and expressed concern or negativity or outrage or anything else like is there no negative feedback or zero you like, just don't care. No, well, 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 well. No, I do have to listen because I mean, I can't. I'm capable, just like the just like the next person, of going too far. But, but I so I I do need to listen. But, but, uh, but no, no. The negative feedback is from was from that public relations person that we've since parted ways with because uh, she wasn't on the she wasn't on the bus. And in fact, it's been the opposite. Uh, we, we've we've had I've had I've had uh, I've had a number of our eight figure clients say to me directly 
we love what it is that what it is that you're doing it is it is so refreshing and one of the quotes that just that just warms my heart is uh so an entrepreneur a business person totally under totally understands what it what it is to take yeah. risk and and uh and stay up at night worrying about stuff he he said he said to me it is so quote it is so fun to watch what what it is that what it is that you guys are doing so it's it's um did you see that do you see the movie private parts with howard stern Nothing against nothing against Howard Stern, but no, I don't think I actually saw Private Parts. All right, well, there's a great scene in that. There's a great scene in that movie when he's when the, the the manager of the radio station is trying to get Howard Stern fired, and he's talking to the he's talking to the research guy who's who's giving him all the numbers, and the research guy says, "Okay, the average Howard Stern fan listens for two hours, and the most common reason he gives for listening they give for listening is I want to see what he's going to say next," and then the manager says, "Yes, but I want to know about the people that hate Howard Stern." And then the research guy says, uh, good point. The average Howard Stern hater listens for six and a half hours. And then, the, <laughs> and, then, and then frustrated, the manager who's trying to get Howard Stern fired says, but if they hate him, why do they listen? And the, and the research guy says, most common answer, I want to see what he's going to say next. And so we, I, we think about that <laughs> from a marketing perspective in terms of delivering a client experience we want we want our clients to 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 stick around to see what we're going to do next and it's not about sharp ratios or we're going to we're going to move from 9.2% to 9.6% in small cap international allocation it's not it's none of that it's the I mean, you got to take care of that. You do need to deliver a quality product, but if you can, if you can deliver to clients a memorable and maybe even I don't know about, um, but entertaining experience as part of their financial advisory, uh, as part of their financial advisory life, I mean, that's some power. So, what does the actual like service offering experience look like from? From Fairhaven, I mean, are you are you are you as trying to be as edgy out and out there with services provided as you are with the marketing of said services? Yeah, I would say what we try to do from a financial planning perspective is pretty much the the exact opposite. Uh, we we are trying to we are trying to be boring and uh, and and give a give a down the middle kind of a kind of experience of. Uh, we were ta- I was talking about this actually with a prospective client today that w- that we're in the keep people rich business, not get them rich business, and uh, and so from an from an investment perspective, I would again I would characterize what we do as as pretty as pretty down the middle. Uh, we talk about from a planning perspective, we talk about identifying risks that needs to be taking it, taken and avoiding risks that doesn't. Uh, so, so again, it's, it's, it gets pretty dry pretty quickly compared to the, compared to the Bear Brothers. We do, we do try to be a comprehensive solution. So we're talking right now with a, um, about doing an acquisition of a, of a tax, uh, a tax firm to be able to do tax work in, in-house. We've got a Medicare and Social Security specialist on the team. One of our advisors specializes in 401k and cash balance plans. One of our advisors has got a, a group health insurance practice. And so we, we, do, we do try to be, one of the advisors is an attorney, as much as it pains me to use the A word. So, so again, we do, we do try, to, to try to deliver a comprehensive 
set of solutions to to clients. But yeah, keep the keep the edgy, not afraid of failing on the marketing side of the house and and be, I'd say, decidedly more conservative and deliberate on the financial planning side of the house. And and you don't have a like a gap, a disjoint, a like Wow, like you, you know, you guys sure are boring with your financial planning, given how like cool and your marketing was. Like, just maybe I'm projecting, but just like, does that show up? You know, you, you guys were so edgy on your website. I I thought it was going to be different as a client. Yeah, so the, the I'd say where where the edginess comes in in the client experience is that uh, with all humility, we're we're fun to be around. But no, I think you know we're again back to this notion that we take what we do seriously, but not ourselves too seriously. I, I think mm-hmm. that makes for a nice combination of competence and uh, comprehensiveness of, of what we do professionally and fun to be around. So describe for us, I guess, the the team structure. Just You said there's, there's 22 people. You've got a couple of different specialists as well. I'm not sure if they're a specialization and an advisor or if they're dedicated specialists. So it's a bit of both. Just, okay. So just can you uh, like paint the picture of the 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 22 person organizational chart? How, like how are you guys structured as you're closing in or sit, sitting right at a billion? Yeah. So we've got, I think it's probably seven, it's probably seven administrative people and then three operations slash trading people. So our trading, none of our advisors do their own trading. That's all, that's all consolidated. Okay. Then we've got nine nine advisors and whatever's left is uh is, is going to be a dedicated specialist so that's the that's okay. the mix we okay. the admit the administrative and operational pool no one is assigned to anybody from an advisor perspective we work as a we work as a team uh of all of our administrative people we have we have two that are full-time everybody everybody else is part-time they they arrange their own schedule so i don't have to deal with i don't have to deal with that at all just with the just with the caveat that we've got no fewer than 3 uh administrative support people in the in the office at any one at any one time we just made actually we just made uh, i guess it's last year now but we made our first uh advisor and training hire so that was out of our internship program so that's a a young a young woman from uh North Central College here, here in uh, outside of Chicago. That's in that's in Naperville, and she's going through the financial our version of the financial advisor and training program. So that's a that's a new that's a new role. So she's she's doing mostly financial planning, mostly financial planning work. But we've had her involved in prospective and existing client meetings from the beginning. So for the other nine advisors, are they are they all in a like a, a lead? advisor position do they each have their own clients or are you uh, like a multi-advisor teaming structure like how, how do the nine work yeah so they they've all got responsibility for their own their own clients which are a mix of uh literally clients that they've developed on that they've developed directly on their own and then how we talk about it is firm assigned clients so that's going to come from those exact from those acquisitions that we've done and, and and there's so there is a single point of contact for for all for all clients as far as an advisor goes, but you know how we think about financial planning, how we run the investments is, is very uh, firm centric, I would say. 
So, so just about any, any advisor could, could step in if needed. And then, and then the administrative staff knows all of our clients. So again, no, no one administrative person is assigned to a particular, to a particular advisor. So I'm struck you, you make a distinction between or like clients that the advisors have that, that they got and, and firm assigned clients. So is, is, is that like, just what's the impact of that difference? I mean, is that a, does that, does that tie to compensation or agreements or just kind of an internal note of who brought what? Like, uh, yeah, no, no, it's, it, up? yeah, it, 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 it flows directly to compensation. So, okay. uh, having, gr- having grown up, having grown up in the, in the wirehouse world where you had to, you had to develop business or you were shown the door, uh, with no cake parties or anything. It was like middle of the morning, you're walked out and people are, people left behind you are fighting over your stapler. Coming from that world, I have a, I, I have a deep appreciation for the difficulty of business development and uh and that i believe it should be rewarded and so for advisors that advisors that develop their own business that is one that's one grid or or comp level and then for business that has effectively been turned over to them to take care of and do a good and do a good job with that compensation is at another level and then we which is lower and then we and then we blend though we blend those two together and for our, we've got one of our advisors who has declined to participate so far in, uh, in any firm assigned business. And absent that one advisor, anywhere between 25 and 50% of the revenue that an individual advisor is responsible for is coming from the firm. So, so as, as a baseline comp for advisors or... Are they all variable comp? I mean, is, is everything percentage of, of revenue or is there like salary plus some combination that blends together? Yeah. So for all the, for all the senior advisors, it is entirely variable comp. And then for the, our, our advisor in training that's been hired, she gets a salary plus a, plus a quarterly bonus. Okay. Yep. And so how, how big is the difference in between the two? comp levels like how how much higher is my payout rate if i sourced it versus if i didn't if yeah no that yeah no I'm, I'm happy to share the numbers so if you so if an advisor and i'll explain the rationale so as far as our overall comp plan goes and a, a directly sourced business for an advisor they they are paid cash comp of 60 percent of the 60 percent of that revenue so six zero Okay. Then uh, firm assigned clients are paid 25% with an incentive that if they double the assets, not double the fee, you know, don't change the fee. If yeah. they double, if they double the assets, then that moves from 25 to 40% of, okay. uh, of revenue. Then comp also includes fully paid for firm health insurance, dental, uh, life, uh, disability, and vision. That's all, that's all paid for by the firm. And then there are no, there are no technology charges or locker room fees or any, you know, any, any sort of, any sort of nickel and dime, nickel and dime stuff. Technology is all, you know, the the computer, all all the rest is, is all, is all paid for. And then we've got agreements with the advisors that say if they ever part ways with the firm, that their clients are their clients and the firm's clients are the firm's clients. And if they, and if, if, if they disagree with that, and and uh, and try to take some try to take some firm clients. There there are 
there are specific formulas about the penalties associated with that. And like, can you at least give us a neighborhood? Like what, what kind of penalties, like just how, you know, is a, sure. like, how do you scope this? I mean, I've seen some firms that are basically, if you leave, you can, you can buy them, but you have to buy them at an above market rate because we were not planning on selling them until you forced us by leaving and taking them. Right. Um, uh, others handed in more of a, you know, legal consequences context. Like how, how do you handle what what penalties look like if they if they do try to take a firm's client take a firm client like an actual firm firm assigned firm yeah client. so so i i will confess that i've not read the agreement in the last couple of years we have not had any advisors leave i'm uh, fair frank, enough. Frank, frankly i'm not frankly i'm not sure why they would but 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 uh but my memory's telling me it's something like two times trailing 12 revenue and uh you know it's open it's it's open season for all of us. So if you know if right. an advisor wants to compete with us for firm assigned clients, then we'll yeah. be competing with them for their clients. But but um, but you know the the first advisor that we hired, uh, experienced, uh, very 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 experienced person in the eight years that he that he's been with the firm, uh, his compensation has it's uh, his compensation has quadrupled in in uh in eight which which i am thrilled to see that to see that happen i mean you know and so that goes back to the that goes back to one of the recurring themes about how i think about how i think about businesses if you can or one of the ways that i think about business if you can figure out ways to lift others uh you, you will you will uh have you will have a consequence of of lifting of lifting yourself so so i'm i'm thrilled that the way that the structure's working benefits again benefits clients benefits the team and and benefits the firm so is there anything that gets on like a, a applied back against their their compensation or like i'm thinking relative to the wire house world you know you you may have to cover a portion of the comp for your assistant or your operation staff overhead sometimes right. sometimes there's allocations like that is, is right. there is there is there stuff like that that comes back out of their their comp? There is not the 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 firm the firm carries entirely the freight of the uh, the office the the operations and support staff the benefits they they all get fully paid for health insurance uh, that that's all paid for by the firm so you know so the so you know back to that rationale what my as far as the grids go what my what my research in leading up to starting the firm showed me was that was that in general a an advisor looking to start their own practice could in general expect to net something in the 60s uh percent in in terms of a in terms of a margin and now now that depended of course if they were going to work out of their basement and have their dog as their assistant then that then that that margin was going to drive higher uh, and likewise, if they had the Taj Mahal for for real estate and and a staff of fifty, that margin right. would would go would go lower. But but a reasonable, a reasonable, legitimate legitimate business with legitimate office space, legitimate technology, legitimate staff that 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 an advisor could expect to be in the sixties. And so, right. and I mean, so I what, just I just think of that relative to industry benchmarking studies. Right, uh, most firms end out something in the. 
30 to 40% of overhead expenses, usually a higher percentage when you're when you're not as large yet. It's just, you know, staff costs are lumpy when you yeah. when you hire your when yeah. you hire your first assistant. So, you know, you could you know, you could run as a solo and absorb that overhead uh and net out and net out 60 to 70 points, or you can work here at the firm and then you don't actually have to manage and deal with all that stuff, which exactly takes a, a, a mental toll and other other stressors for those who who want to run on their own. And so I'm I'm envisioning some advisor who's listening who, you know, runs a great lean practice and is doing 75 or 80 points or more. Like, cool, that's if you want to build your own thing. And just I'm presuming like in practice, just you're getting the folks who don't necessarily want to have to build all that infrastructure and the rest. And says if I can get most of the net without needing to do all the rest of the building, staffing, hiring, office, tech and the rest, like cool, Mark, you 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 do that. I'm I'm gonna go get me some clients. Exactly. With the, I'd say with the added caveat with the, or with the added benefit of if they participate in the – because this math I did just do. Uh, but, but if they participate in the firm assigned bucket, if, if, I take their, if I take their total compensation, so what goes to their, what goes to their checking account and load in the benefits and, and assume for rent and things like that and then apply it to their advisor-developed revenue number, they're 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 into the 80s in in terms of in terms of total uh, total value relative to the revenue that, that that they've developed directly. And how do you think about capacity for advisors? Like, is there some point where you know they're 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 done on the number of clients, or at least they're they're done on what the firm is assigning them for clients? Like, you can go get more of your own if you want, and, and you get a good payout for it, but. Uh, you know, you're you're at the okay level, so we're not giving you any more firm assigned clients. Are there th- like thresholds or targets like that that you think about? So yeah, there's 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 really only one advisor in the in the firm that's in the category that or in the the uh, circumstance I think that you're referring to. So the, the I mean the numbers that I've seen from the industry is something like 100 to 125 clients or something like that is where the is where the typical advisor should probably. Uh, max out at, and so the 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 running conversation I'm having with him is uh, is 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 to do is to think about doing what I did when I first started in the business back in the back in the wires, and I from the beginning from the beginning I did not want to build a practice that had a thousand that had a thousand clients. I wanted to I wanted to build a build a tighter a tighter practice, and so what I did for my 14 years in the big firm world was whenever I, whenever I did, whenever I, I got some business development done, I was going after clients that were above my average. I'd bring in uh, that, that client came in above my average. I would then immediately go back to my client list, go to the bottom of the client list, and then partner with another advisor in the office to say, here, you take these two clients and go take care of them. Give me a split back, and they're and they're and they're all yours. And so, I guess from the beginning of my career in this business, mm. I've been doing what it is that we do. You know, we do a version of that basically at Fairhaven. So, so, I've, so I've, every it, time you take a new one on, like you take one above the line, you let one or two go below the line, but you would try to send them to another advisor that would still give you some kind of. Like, well, like split rep code in the in the BD world, but, exactly. You know, sh- share a portion of the revenue back, since you know, effectively at that point, you're you're kind of doing a mini partial sale on the value of the client relationship for an earnout, right? If I think of it from like a business capital transaction, uh, 
Yeah. You'll you'll get the client. You pay me the referral solicitor, lead gen, partial earnout, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but then you're you're always growing your revenue because you're adding one above the line when you subtract below the line. So like the revenue of your book should grow, and you're actually getting partially paid on the ones that have come off the book at the bottom. Exactly. And then just you can revenue keeps growing, and you don't have to grow the number of clients and get exactly that you're drowning. Exactly. So do, do you ever get stuck with the just? You know, I mean, I know for a lot of us, like the the ones at the bottom are often the ones who've been with us the longest because they joined us back then when we didn't have any minimums and we could take anyone that we could that we could get you know a few of the really early ones grow big a lot of the really early ones don't so just like did you ever have issues or concerns of some of the ones below the line might have been with you a long time and now you're asking them to to leave and step off the bus yeah so uh right that that's a that can be a hard conversation uh in in the fairhaven world today i'm not going anywhere so still here, just being just being serviced by part of the team, and and I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of being of being candid, and so to to let them to let them know, look, you're gonna get you're gonna get more attention and more service from mm. X Y Z person. I'm not going anywhere, and we can we can talk we can talk whenever you whenever we want to, but this is gonna be this is gonna be better it's going to deliver you a better, a better experience. And so I would say just getting out and just saying it. And, and so far, which, which is the hard thing to say, right? They get, it, 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 is. Of, it is hard to actually say across the clients. Like, yeah, you know, the truth is I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to connect you with, with Jim in our office. Cause Jim's going to give more attention and better service than I do. Like it, it may is- be true. And it actually makes the client feel better. Like you, you have to actually say that with a straight face about yourself, which is you hard, do. hard for some of us. You no, know, you do, you do, you do, you do. You know, back to that, back to that sincerity and and being yeah. genuine. Uh, the opposite gets sniffed out immediately. So, so no, right. you 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 need to you need to you need to mean what it is that what it is that you're saying. But so far, uh, so far, I have not had I've not had any any clients what throw you know throw the proverbial yeah. glass of water in my face and storm out of the and storm out of the office. They, they've they've understood that. So. So you kind of talked about what happens at the high end, right? You can do the the one on one off sort of thing, or one on two off if you've gotten too far already, um, and kind of right size the client base while you still grow revenue. Um, how does it happen at the other end when when advisors are are getting started? Like how do you, how do you ramp them up initially to to get them to a reasonable number, right? Yeah. You know, uh, 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 they're they're you know uh, the challenge always and forever of percentage revenue payouts like it's really hard when you're getting started because sixty percent of zero is zero <laughs> right that is a that is a very tough one which I don't which I don't have a good answer for at the at the moment so I have I have distilled I've just I had this this folder that I'd carried around with me for the entirety of my career of clippings and notes and things about business development and overcoming objections and and time management and all that, all this other all this other stuff and we we actually put put all that together into a formal team handbook uh f- that we use for both our internship program and for the and for the 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 uh our two most recent hires are younger people in the younger people in the industry. And so I'm, I've put that together as a tool to try and help them in, in growing, uh, in growing their own practices. Uh, but it is, 
I mean, that is a tough order to fill. It, it's the, the developing developing a financial advisory practice from zero has not gotten any easier. And and I, I don't know that there is an easy I don't know that there is an easy answer to it. it it's just it's it's just hard freaking work. So so are all the advisors who are with the firm all all people who had already gotten going to some extent and had some some client some clients in revenue already? They they had they had I think other than the two that I'm thinking about the 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 I think it was something like thirty million dollars or something like that was going to be the the size of the the size of maybe the smallest advisor that joined us as a as a recruited advisor so they they had enough going and were uh, professional uh, you know professional people that that the, the firm the firm really helped them in getting getting them more clients and more revenue to take care of. And then they've grown from there. So this, so you're not necessarily hiring advisors from scratch into this. This might be an advisor that I've got 30 million. It's, you know, it's pretty good dollars in revenue, but now I'm really whacking that threshold where I have to start like hiring more people and build, getting a bigger office space and building all the stuff. And I don't really actually want to do that and deal with that. So if I, if I call Mark at Fairhaven, like, you know, since like I, I, I give him 40% of my revenue, he solves my problems. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and, and that, that's kind of the, the recruiting transition and structure. Uh, yeah, I'd say, in a, I'd, right, I'd say in a nutshell, people that have not run businesses, uh, I, I think would be surprised at how much work goes into getting a website developed, getting, getting marketing materials put together, hiring, you know, hiring staff, doing, going through compensation reviews, building, building out an office, uh, all the things that, and I'm, I'm just scratching the surface of all the things that go into, uh, running a, uh, a, a business so that a person, so that an advisor can be out there in the front lines, talking to clients, having meetings, uh, then, uh, and then, and then going home and not worrying about any of any of that other stuff. So what's the difference for you between recruiting and acquisitions? Cause you, like you've talked about both, like what, what's the difference between acquiring a $30 million, uh, advisor and recruiting a $30 million advisor? Probably just age of the, of the, of the advisor. I mean, in both cases, we're looking for similar things. We're look, we're looking for a similar, a similar philosophy from a financial planning perspective. Uh, we are looking at a similar philosophy from an investment perspective. We're clearly looking for somebody that's comfortable with our, uh, with our approach to marketing. In fact, that is the lead on, on any of the acquisition or recruiting conversations that we've ever had. The first thing that I say to people is, well, here, you got to go watch one of these videos because if you're not comfortable with this, that'll end this, that'll end this conversation immediately because that's not changing. So uh, uh, personality fit, you know, if, when people come into the office that are considering joining the firm, the first person that I ask an opinion of is our receptionist. And she's not shy about uh, about what she about what she thinks. So, what literally is the difference between recruiting and an acquisition for you? Like recruiting, you don't get paid anything. Just I get your revenue, and then you get sixty percent of it back, and that's the deal and the split. And you know, I, I make the decision if that works for me based on my own costs and overhead. And acquisition is some kind of capital transaction with a big old check. Like, is that the distinction here? 
Yeah, it's so the acquisitions have varied. There there have been there have been some that have been big old checks and and others that have been that have been uh that have been just worked out over time. So they they've all they've all had their own their own flavor. I I I'd say I'd say two of them. So some some advisors have been looking for the they want to get paid right now, they want to transition their clients and a year later they want to be gone and uh and retired doing something doing something else and then the other end of the spectrum we've had uh we've got an advisor that's been doing his own thing for a long time and as part of his step towards retirement he wanted to get integrated with the firm get his clients comfortable with the firm his administrative assistant comfortable comfortable with the firm and is planning on kind of slowing down just just over just over time and then the the so the the recruits the recruited advisors, there's been some level of dissatisfaction wherever they wherever they were or looking for right. a looking that's, for a new what, home. That's what makes you I mean, that's what makes you change, right? That's why exactly that's why exactly. you're in the market. So so where do you just where do you source them? Like where are you actually finding advisors looking to sell or or be recruited? So four of the five acquisitions are a result of cold calls. Of the cold f- calls. Cold calls. Who cold do you calls. who do you cold call and where there's, did your cold where did your cold call list come from? There's a Bear Brothers video on that too. Uh, the um, so yeah, I mean that's how I developed business when I was at the Wirehouse. I added it up one time. I've sent out sixty seven thousand invitations to seminars during the course of my career at the Wirehouse. I don't have one client to show for that effort. Not even a former client. So I'm I'm o for sixty seven thousand on seminars, but the the phone worked, and so. Uh, and so I'm comfortable with that. And so what I was doing, in, back to that three years of, of preparation in uh, leading up to going independent, I would cold call uh, RIA firms in greater Chicago. And this was, the, this, was the, this was the script. This is, my name is Mark Horner. I'm calling from you know, XYZ Wirehouse. I've been in the business for 12 years. And I'm going to be in the independent world one way or another uh, sooner, uh, probably sooner rather than later. And I would love to be able to come by the office and get some, and get some feedback from you about how it is that I, uh, what, what it is that I need to do in order to be prepared and what lessons that you've learned and, and, uh, to try and get myself ready to go as quickly as I can. So how, like, like how many people are, how often did people actually say yes to this Okay, like I guess I'll do lunch with you, total stranger man. More more times than not. More more times than not. So yeah, I mean if I got somebody on if I got somebody on the phone, I, I'd say that's that's part of the beauty of our industry in 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 my experience. Financial advisors, in my experience, are incredibly generous with yeah. their with their time and and sharing uh and, you know, it didn't always result in some lunch or some big deal. It 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 frequently it just it it was a maybe a longer conversation where they threw they threw out some ideas and you know you might want to go look at this you might want to go join the FPA and and get to know get to know some people there. But but uh, but no, more times than not, people were people were helpful in in what it is that they what it is that they what counsel they shared with me. But like, how do these turn into acquisitions? Yeah. Okay. So, so going to that. So one of these cold calls, you know, I stayed in touch with that person. We developed a document called the protective put, which is a succession planning document. That's like two pages long. 
that, that basically is a free insurance policy for an advisor to uh, protect the value of their of their practice. And so it's, a, it's an agreement that says, I agree to pay your family uh, X percent of the revenues of your firm if you exercise, if you choose to exercise a protective put or if something happens to you. Uh, that, that I'm going to work to I'm going to work with your administrative team to take over those client relationships so some value can be preserved again for your family. So the cold call led to then getting together for breakfast periodically. Then maybe we played golf from time to time. Then I went independent, stayed in touch with them, stayed in touch with them. Then that that then morphed into the uh, go ahead and, and and signing the protective put, which then morphed into you know what. Why don't I? I think maybe I'm just going to join the firm just outright, and um, and just skip ahead with all this stuff and simplify my life. And and now he's in Florida for three months. So interesting. So so the protective put like this isn't an advisor who works with you. Like I mean, this is a a stranger or a prospective firm you might acquire Correct. that you go to them and say, yep, you know, if if something happens to you, I will, I will, I will buy out your firm. I guess I'm noting like on a percentage of revenue basis. So I guess strictly speaking, like if the clients don't come, you're not actually obligated for anything. Although obviously you want to buy it. So the goal is to keep the clients. Exactly. No, exactly. Exactly. I would sign a thousand of them today because they, there is no money exchanged hands. Right. Unless revenue is flowing. So what's the, what's the percent? Like, how do you strike? Like, yeah. How do you strike that deal? Yeah, so that was like five years ago. So I want I want to say it was like twenty percent of twenty percent of revenue, twenty percent of revenue for like five years or something like that. So so I mean completely at a total discount to to what to what a firm might otherwise be valued yeah. at. But but again in that scenario, somebody's either either dead or well yeah. Or, I mean, if you're dying with your boots on, like your alternative is a hard zero exactly <laughs> when, when when you're gone and everything's out. So. Uh, you know, if you're planning on riding off in the sunset, anyways, like, and I guess just anything's better than a zero, and you won't be around to have to deal with it. So, like, someone else's problem if they get my spouse and kids anything more than the zero I was going to get, that's a pretty good deal. If I if I wanted to just maximize my income by staying in this visor as long as I can, exactly. Okay, interesting. And so, so you said like you've done multiple acquisitions. So I get like the early ones, the cold call was, you know, I'm thinking about going into independent and leaving a wirehouse. I'd like to get some feedback from you in order to be prepared and lessons you've learned and so forth. So what, like, what are you doing now? What's the, like, what's the cold call now? Is it, is it this whole protective put conversation? You're, you're cold calling for protective puts? Yeah. So we, we typically aren't leading with, aren't leading with that. And the whole pan, you know, the whole pandemic pretty much killed our, uh, or, or delayed, postponed. Yeah. Our, uh, uh, our our work there. I've just gotten back on the horse recently on uh, on the inorganic stuff, and so what we what we lead with there is we started uh, we started self publishing our own magazine a few years ago. So okay. uh, I just I. Just I can't stand the the uh, the the new you know the the, the can newsletter slap your logo on it and some and some yeah. some joker is writing something about some article uh, to me that's just a complete waste of time and money so we started doing our own magazine which is uh, which is organized around the uh, around various financial planning topics it's photo heavy my uh, sister and her 
uh, husband are both professional chefs. So we've got recipe, we've got a recipe in there from, from professional chefs. And so we try to make it like everything else that we do, we try to make it have some level of enjoyment. And so we use those to send those to uh, advisors that me, that we might want to get in front of to talk about succession planning. So to try and put in front of them immediately, Hey, this is, this is, this is one way in which we're different. Oh, interesting. So just, just to literally say like, Hey, this is something we produce for clients thought you might be interested if you ever wanted to work with a firm like ours, just, this is a way that we show up unique and different. I, I got, I got Ken Fisher's messages sometimes too, cause apparently I live in a decent zip code, but like, do, uh, uh, do you just start sending it to people or, or yes, do you we, explain it to them? Yes. Yeah, so we don't explain Yeah. So we don't explain it. So we, so I, we put a handwritten note. We're huge fans of writing handwritten notes. Uh, th- that's how I do a lot of my client meetings is, is via, is via handwritten notes, but, um, uh, or client reviews, pretty much what you, what you, uh, what you said, thought you might find this interesting and, and it's a way to, a way we differentiate ourselves that goes in the mail. We also started cold mailing those magazines to, uh, to our, our Wheaton, Illinois and Glen Ellen, Illinois zip code. And so those go out to, I think that mailing list is like 3000, 3000 households in, in Wheaton and wow. Illinois. So, you know, the whole rumor that print media is dead for do the opposite, do the opposite. If every mm-hmm. if everybody's, if everybody's putting out pictures of pictures of uh, couples running on the beach, give them, give them the bear brothers, do the, do the opposite to try and stand out. So, so just how do you, like pr- produce said magazine. I mean, you didn't you didn't talk about um, you know a magazine publisher on the on the staff org chart. No, so we self published it. So the, how we how we round out the how we round out the content is uh, so our branding guy uh, that developed our developed our logo, coordinated the artwork in the office, uh, uh, takes care of the takes care of the website. He he assembles the magazine. The content we get from either we self we self produce or we partner with various organizations. So the general the general uh, outline of the magazine is going to be there's going to be a financial planning topic, an investment topic, something on healthcare, something on entrepreneurship, something on philanthropy, the recipe. And then, and then what we, and then what we do is we reach out to clients to say, so like on philanthropy, we reach out to clients to say, Hey, do you have a favorite charity that you would like to have profiled in a magazine for free? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they say yes. And then introduce, and then introduce us. And then we connect with, we connect with another organization. They, they go ahead and either send us the article that they'd like, that they would like to have written. Or we work with local college students to to do the the ghost writing for us, and and then we have the the entity that's being profiled uh, send us a bunch of pictures, and then our branding guy lays it all out and sends it off to the printer, and away and away we go. So we always start with clients. So to to start with clients, if their company wants to get profiled in a magazine, and then you know we'll produce an isolated PDF for them to put on their website. You know, say hey, we were appeared in the Fairhaven Journal. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I mean, it tends to it, it it tends to I don't know about write itself, but but we we draw from a bunch of different resources in order to in order to fill out the fill out the content for the for the magazine. How how often do you like create these and send this out? Two times a year. Okay, 
So, so it's not you, like you're grinding on this on a monthly basis to to meet a publishing schedule. No, no. And so that you know, they're they're again consistent with the consistent with the the million dollar cup of coffee survey. I asked a handful of clients when we were thinking about doing this. I said, you know, we're thinking about publishing our own magazine. Would you know some come out monthly and some come out quarterly? And it, it's pre- it's pretty funny listening to listening to clients to then say. Who cares what who cares what other people do? I don't want to read a magazine every month. Once a year sounds like too little. Four times a year sounds like too much. Why don't you do it two or three times a year? And so that's what we do. And so I guess not a ton of pages. I mean, this is twenty or thirty pages kind of thing. Like I'm just visioning sort of two two page spreads on all the different areas. Yeah, they they, they end up being about forty pages long each of the magazines. Okay. Lots of pictures. Lots of pictures. Okay. And and then just like what does it cost to do this? How do you literally like print and mail a magazine? Because I'm I'm assuming you don't want to uh, do that internally and have someone like stamp and um and, and address uh, a couple thousand of these. We pay our branding guy. You know, as far as the cost goes, we pay our branding guy thirty six thousand dollars a year. The producing the magazine. So we'll so when we cold mail. 3,000 copies, and then we'll produce another 1,000 for these. So we're, we're printing 4,000 magazines. I, I think that's, that's, that's around 12 grand uh, to, get that, to get that done. Um, well, that's not a big number. It's like, not that bad. Like in, that's like printing and postage and just all, all of it? And I think that's just printing. And then I think okay. postage, postage is on top of that. So probably postage okay. is probably going to be another – it's probably going to be another three grand. So probably printing – Printing and mailing for printing four thousand, mailing three thousand magazines is probably something like fifteen thousand dollars, and then um, and then the uh, the branding guy is just he's on retainer, so he doesn't bill like per project. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and and so just there's a a service you use where you branding guy sends them a, a. I was going to say a 40 page PDF. It's probably not little or a PDF, like a 40 page digital file. And you just yep. send the file and a big old list of addresses and, and they do all the rest. Exactly. Exactly. So as, as you look back on this journey, like what surprised you the most about built building a billion dollar advisory business? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there have been so many surprises along the way, but the first practice that I acquired after uh, his employment agreement was done, he filed mm-hmm. for he filed for unemployment benefits against me. <laughs> so I talked to two employment attorneys, both of whom said, both of whom independently said, uh, "Okay, number one, I've never heard of somebody selling a business and then turning around and filing for unemployment against the person or a company that bought their business." So that's a first. <laughs> number 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 two, even if you knew he was going to do this. Uh, there's nothing you could have done to prevent it because you can't you can't put that language into a contract. And number three, we can't take your case because you work in Illinois, which is so employee friendly that you're going to lose. Uh, so you know we understand if you want to defend yourself, but but we we cannot charge you for this. So I ended up defending myself and I lost. So I had to I had to pay I had to pay unemployment benefits to somebody that I bought a practice <laughs> from. So wow. that was Which once that was one surprise. <laughs> so like what did that do you remember like what did that cost? What did that add to the um to the purchase price of the business? I ended up 
making it a wash because part of the because part of the deal part of his deal was a seller note okay and so when i got the unemployment notice you know filing i called him up and i said you know what's going on here and he said well i need more money uh i'm open to ideas to which i said well i'm pretty sure walmart's hiring down the street so you could uh-huh. probably go be a greeter down there and uh he didn't like that and so then i so then i told him well you know i still have your note here that i've got to pay out i'm just taking this out of the note and uh and he said, well, you can't do that. And I said, watch me. And, and so, and so we ended, we ended up, we ended up going to, we ended up going to mediation and I got the note reduced. So it, it, it ended up, it ended up being, okay. uh, being a wash, but, but I mean, again, who would have thought that's, that's what happens yeah. or that's what can happen when you buy a practice. Um, I'd say, I'd say the thing that eight years, eight years now, eight years into this that I'm still stunned at is how i mean i i made i made i've got a lot of friends in the in the wire in the wire world i cannot believe that more of them have not made the jump i i just mm. i i can't believe you know i understand it if somebody's maybe in their in their 60s and it's just not worth right. the hassle i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna see this i'm gonna see this through but if somebody if somebody's an experienced advisor and they're in their and they're in their 40s or early 50s I, I don't understand it. The 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 uh, the the, op- the opportunity in the independent world, the um, the freedom, the flexibility, the fun of of being able to go out and and try things that you couldn't even think about trying uh, in the in the in the wire world is so it's 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 intoxicating in in the in the independent world that more people don't more advisors don't pull the ripcord i just do not understand so i'm surprised totally surprised at that any guesses from your end is why why so many do stay i mean you you did spend 14 years on on the on that side before the independent side yeah i did i did so in hindsight they do a really really good job of of getting you to drink the kool-aid that you're that you're in the best you you are in the best firm and that if you think about going independent get used to changing the toilet paper and 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 swapping mm-hmm. out the the printer the printer ink cartridge and all this other stuff that you don't need to you don't need to worry about right now so they they do they do a very good job of uh of uh pumping the advisor world full of that full of that thinking uh so I, my my guess is it's a combination of that and then uh the status quo is always is always easier and a little bit of the little bit of the fear of the fear of the unknown right. so my guess is it's those three things so what was the low point for you on your own journey through this um you know, I've not in eight again in eight plus years. I have not had a single moment where the thought has floated through my head: "What in the world have I done? Uh, I, I need to I need to get back to the I need to get back to the big firm world immediately." Uh, so that that thought has never floated through my head. Was there uh, a, was there a low point in the in the prior world that helps help spur led led you to this outcome? Yeah. So, so I didn't, you know, in my, in my own, my own move, I I was not running from something. I was running to something. So, so Mm. I'm thankful. I'm very thankful for my experience in the, in the wires and, and the, and what I learned. I mean, it, 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 it gave birth to the Bear Brothers for crying out loud. So, (laughs) 
So I'm, but I'm very, I'm very thankful for the, for the, in the relationships that I've got there. And so it was, I have, I, I really, um, there, there was not any sort of, I was forced to do things I didn't want to do. And I had to live in a fiduciary world. I mean, there was, there was not, there was none of that. It was, I just saw, I saw and continue to see more, far more opportunity, freedom, flexibility in the independent world than the, than the captive world. But I would I would say I would say a low point has been I'd say being frustrated with the legal system the, the that 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 unfortunately I've had a couple of I've had a couple of experiences you know the the filing for unemployment being being one of them where the where where what's going on uh, is just so blatantly not right. That mm. and there and there's and there's nothing to be there's nothing to be done about that. It's unfortunately just the way that it is. I didn't have to deal with unemployment claims when I was at the when I was at the wirehouse, so I didn't I didn't see any of that stuff. Right. And and so I've I've gotten to being out on being out on my own. I I have gotten a chance to see some of the what goes on in the in the what can go on in the legal world, and it's it's incredibly disappointing. So. Uh, but yeah, as far as my as far as my move to as far as my move to independence, I, I I'm, there's no chance I'm going back. I I absolutely I I absolutely love what it is that love what it is that we do. I'm just chuckling from your comment earlier. It's like no, it's not true that when you go independent, you have to deal with all the ink cartridge and scrub the and scrub the toilets. You just have to deal with the bogus unemployment claims. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I might trade the toilets for the unemployment claims. So yeah. is there any? Is there anything else of like what you know now living in the independent channel that you wish you could have like gone back and told you 10 years ago when you were starting to think about this? Well, so there, you know, there's, there's that, there's that phrase that I think I've heard a million times that I wish I'd done it sooner. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I looked really hard when I, I made a move from one wire to another in 2008. Uh, as as when the finan- whole financial crisis was going on, and I looked really hard at going to the independent world at that time, and I just didn't have the stones to do it in 2008 when the financial world was coming unglued. And so I think it's easy to it's easy to look back uh, eight years into it and think, well, no, I should have I should have done it I should have done it then. But but I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's reality. That would that would have been incredibly difficult to do in uh in in 2008 so i don't think the whole idea that i wish i had done this sooner uh really flies uh and for yeah i mean for an advisor starting fresh in the business like could i have skipped over my wirehouse experience altogether and just started in the independent world as a as an advisor and i'd say the answer is a definitive absolutely not i i needed the i needed that environment to get started, get some experience, uh, to then build to the next, to the next step. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know what, what would, I mean, sure. I've made some, we, we've hired two social media marketing companies and wasted a bunch of money on that been complete failures, uh, both of them. So I'd love to have that. Did, to you, s- did you find a third that worked or did you like give up on social media at that point. Yeah, so the third swing I took at it was to go ahead and hire somebody full time to do it to do it in house mm. and and unfortunately we had to let him, we had to we had to let him go because it just wasn't getting the result. It just the, the cost did not the, the results did not uh warrant the costs. So he okay. did he did I told him in, in it was a very difficult conversation. Uh 
this is a, somebody I went to college with. I've known for a long time. I hated every second. Yeah, I hated every second of the conversation. But I, but I told him of the three, he did the best. It's, it's just, it's just not, it, it's not additive enough to, to warrant the to warrant the expense. So yeah, I mean, I right because you're just literally looking at like here's how much new client revenue we sourced from our social media activities, and here's my salary plus benefits to pay you to do this. And exactly. The, the math just wasn't working. It, it just were, wasn't, yeah. were you getting some results and it just didn't add up enough or were you uh, just not able to figure out how to move the needle on social media at all? Very, very little. Very little. Yeah. Very, very, very little results. And actually huh. LinkedIn sent me over the edge when I was on the, when I was on the fence of making this decision, I got one of these emails from LinkedIn, you know, just a general email, not to me, perf- not to me personally. But it, it said it, it was making the argument for how important it is to post more than um, more than once a month. And I read the email, and we posted like five times a week. And yeah. uh, so we were way more active than what they were than what they were advocating. And so I read that and thought, well, I mean, if I can dial it down to once or twice a week, I'm still way ahead of what, of what they're, of, of what so they're advocating. So their, their, their email to try to get you to do more actually made you feel like you had permission to do less. Exactly. <laughs> Probably not the intention of their campaign, but Hey, that's why you gotta be careful how you do it. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, plenty of decisions that I'd love to have to do over again, but, but, but again, in, in, in hindsight, I, I think that was the, you know, those were the, those are the right decisions to make at the, at the time. And you can't walk through life trying to make decisions, knowing what the outcome is going to be. You, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta step to the plate and, and make, make decisions with what you know at the time. So, so then I'm curious what, what your advice would be to younger, newer advisors coming into the business today? Like, would you advocate young people getting started today to go to the wirehouses to to start their careers there as as you went and found so foundational yeah so so my i started my i actually deliver this speech to our intern class every single every single summer i started my career in the commercial banking industry out of college and so i went through a i went through a training program there where they rotated you through retail banking retail lending i went to the i went to the credit analyst school and so learned how to deal learned how to underwrite loans for businesses work with business owners that the banking business to me is or for me anyway was a fabulous foundation mm-hmm. in in and it's and the banking industry is infinitely more forgiving than and tolerant than the mm-hmm. uh, than the financial the traditional financial advisor world. So for okay. young people coming out of college, I think banking is a fantastic place to start. Uh, in what to, kind of job or role? Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I'd be inclined to be heading towards some sort of uh, path that's got you working with business owners. So if you can, if you can develop experience early in your career, being comfortable with bi- being comfortable working with business people, that I'm confident that will serve you well in a uh, in, in a role as a financial advisor down the road if you choose to go that way. Does that mean like trying to find a like a financial advisor job at a bank that has business owners, or are you talking about other banking? Yeah, I'm t- actually, I'm talking about not like I'm talking about not financial advisor stuff. So if some, so if a young person coming out of college, 
again, what I tell our interns is if you, if you, the exposure that you got here in your experience at, at Fairhaven makes you think that financial, a financial advisor role is something for you, I, I think you gotta, you gotta go one of two directions. Either go to a, go to a commercial bank, don't go to be a financial advisor, go to be, go to learn about working with businesses as a banker, as a lender. Learn, learn, learn what debt means for companies. Learn, you know, working capital lines of credit and term loans and mortgages and home equity lines this of credit. This is like, like, like being a mortgage officer, being a commercial lending officer. Commercial lending to. officer, absolutely, absolutely. Learn, yeah, learn, learn about the the, the world of money starting there, or find a firm. You know, we made we made again we made a, a hire out of our intern program uh, and. We're not holding her to production goals or anything like that. We're 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 making the investment in in her that I think I think she's she has what it takes to be a financial advisor longer longer term. I think that finding that role is a lot harder than than going to find a job at a at a big at a big or a community bank uh, as a as a commercial lender. Start there and then and then make the transition into the financial advisor world, you know, maybe after you've had a handful of years of experience in the financial world in banking. Interesting. Interesting. So as we wrap up, this is a, a podcast about success. And just one of the themes that always comes up is the, the word success means very different things to different people. And so as someone who's, you know, built what I think anyone would jackly call very successful billion dollar advisory firm, how do you define success for yourself at this point? Uh, well, I'd say, you know, a couple of different ways. The, the, my fundamental thesis about the, about moving to the, moving to the independent world was that there was that there was more opportunity there. And that I felt like, you know, like the grid at the wirehouse is in round numbers is 40% of the revenue that an advisor uh, develops is what their compensation is. And so 60% of the revenue the firm is making decisions about. I felt like I felt like there was more opportunity in the independent world and that if I was in charge or largely in charge of making decisions about what to do with the with the revenue in terms of creating a an experience for our team, for our employees, for our clients, that I could do a better job making those decisions for my small world than the wirehouse management in New York was making was making for me. Uh Rightfully so. I'm, I don't think anybody in New York spent any time worrying about Horner in in, right. uh, in Chicago, but but I would say eight years in that thesis fundamentally, I, I think I think has been proven has been proven true. And along the and along the way, we've created a we've created a culture that um, you know that 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 again the firm pays for 100 percent of the the benefits for for our employees that 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 our employees describe as a one of my fra- favorite descriptions from the team is is that they've described our culture as one of mutual appreciation, and so creating creating an creating an environment that uh, where where the team feels rewarded, where the where the clients are giving are giving feedback that they you know that we're fun to that we're fun to watch, and that and that so far I've been able to been able to do that without sacrificing relationships at home. Uh, now, if I make it to this summer, this will be a 30-year wedding anniversary for for my wife, for my wife and I, and our we have four kids. The oldest just started working here, so that that's been done. That that's been done 
that business stuff has been done w- without without sacrificing the the family stuff. I that I I think about success in those ways. And and like, how does the business stuff come about? Managing that much family stuff along the way, like five, four four kids, is not not a lightweight load on top of everything else you're talking about here. It it's not it's not. But our you know the our daughter, our oldest, we got two boys, two girls. The old the oldest. Um, our oldest, our daughter, just again, who started working here five years ago, she played college volleyball and she was a freshman at school in uh, in Ohio. And my wife and I, so five years ago would have been three years into building the, into building the, into starting the business. So three years in, we didn't miss one college volleyball game uh, of her, of her time, of her time there. Either me or my wife, mostly both of us. We're in attendance at every one of those volleyball games, even though that even though that that school is five hours away. And so we, I'd say I'd say the answer, though, to the question is to make it a decided priority that uh, no matter what's going on in the business, even if you got an unemployment claim that you got to fight, you're walking out the door in order to in order to get on the get on the road to go, um, you know, to go see your kids play play volleyball. And so it, you just got to make it a hard a hard priority. I saw something I saw something recently on Netflix about one of the one of the founders of Netflix talked about how two how Tuesdays at five were were always his date night with his wife and that that was well known from the from the start of that business uh that that was well known that on Tuesdays if somebody had some issue that they needed to talk to him about at 4:30 they better be comfortable getting it done walking alongside him as he was going to the parking lot because he just he mm. he kept that date night promise. Uh so yeah, I think you just got to be you got to be intentional about that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much Mark for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success podcast. Great being with you Michael. I love the stuff that you do. I love been a big fan of yours for a long time. I had to I had to sort of pinch myself when I got the invitation. It's great being with you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.